Hi, this is Dave Durr. Two months after experiencing freedom from slavery and oppression at the hands of the Egyptians, the laws continue to come. For this people, this new nation of Israel, now free to live and thrive, there's definitely a need for some reining in, some boundaries, some laws, discipline, even a need for consequences that follow when breaking those laws. We will continue our series with God's laws pertaining to restitution today as found in Exodus 22, verses 1 through 15. I will read that, so please follow along with me. If someone steals an ox or sheep and then kills or sells it, the thief must pay back five oxen for each oxen stolen and four sheep for each sheep stolen. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. A thief who is caught must pay in full for everything he stole. If he cannot pay, he must be sold as a slave to pay for his theft. If someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and it is found in the thief's possession, then the thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. If an animal is grazing in a field or vineyard and the owner lets it stray into someone else's field to graze, then the animal's owner must pay compensation from the best of his own grain or grapes. If you are burning thorn bushes and the fire gets out of control and spreads into another person's field, destroying the sheaves or the uncut grain or the whole crop, the one who started the fire must pay for the lost crop. Suppose someone leaves money or goods with a neighbor for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house. If the thief is caught, the compensation is double the value of what was stolen. But if the thief is not caught, the neighbor must appear before God, who will determine if he stole the property. Suppose there is a dispute between two people who both claim to own a particular ox, donkey, sheep, article of clothing, or any lost property. Both parties must come before God, and the person whom God declares guilty must pay double compensation to the other. Now suppose someone leaves a donkey, ox, sheep, or any other animal with a neighbor for safekeeping, but it dies or is injured or is taken away, and no one sees what happened. The neighbor must then take an oath in the presence of the Lord. If the Lord confirms that the neighbor did not steal the property, the owner must accept the verdict, and no payment will be required. But if the animal was indeed stolen, the guilty person must pay compensation to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the remains of the carcass must be shown as evidence, and no compensation will be required. If someone borrows an animal from a neighbor and it is injured or dies when the owner is absent, the person who borrowed it must pay full compensation. But if the owner was present, no compensation is required.
and no compensation is required if the animal was rented for this loss is covered by the rental fee. At Mount Sinai, God meets with them, his people. God continues shaping his family by instructing them with laws, kind of house rules. These laws will serve in practical ways to keep the peace, honor each other, as well as show the people what is important in order to learn about him and who he is, and also to thrive as his people. They are set apart as a new nation, and the great I Am is their father. The particular segment we just read talks about restitution. This is very practical and relevant stuff for the people and helps them live in peace with each other and in God-honoring ways. They also are able to understand God's authority in their lives and how they are to interact with each other. The specific passage, this one, although it doesn't go into every possible scenario, gives us just a glimpse of God's principles in action. The laws listed are not all inclusive. The scenarios listed are, are practical everyday examples that would help the people understand what he wanted, how he expected them to deal with each other in, in different situations. But this is almost like a a little primer for a judge to rely on and base his judgments on as uh, these cases come before him. Even though the Bible says nothing about categories or specific distinctions of God's law, there have been efforts to do just that and from man. In order to bring some understanding and clear distinctions to various laws, they have been categorized in three basic categories categories of laws uh, that God gave to the people at Sinai. I just will run through those quickly. Uh, the first is the moral law. These are laws based on God's holy nature. These laws are holy. They are just. They are unchanging. They are instructional. The Ten Commandments are part of the moral law. This law shines a spotlight on the people's brokenness and sin. Then there's the ceremonial law. These laws arise out of customs of a group of people. They were put in place by God to help the people know how to interact with him. They also help the people to know what is pleasing to him, as well as how they could return to or remain in right standing with him. The third grouping of laws are civil laws. These are the laws we're dealing with here today in our passage. They encompass all the moral laws as well, except the Ten Commandments. Of course, the Ten Commandments remain separate and on their own as well. Included in these civil laws include everything from murder to restitution for a man gored by an ox. Whoa, that would hurt, and that would leave a mark. These laws are all about how the people are to treat each other, how to deal with restitution, how we compensate for one's loss, and so on. These divisions of laws can better help us understand the nature of God and perhaps even help us understand which laws are applicable to us today. However, nothing in the Bible indicates that God intended a distinction in categories. It was all simply his law for his people. But we're not going to dive into that today. So what can you and I learn from the expanse of laws being handed out at Mount Sinai? Two months into their trek 
toward the land he had promised them years prior. Well, first of all, it doesn't take us long to realize that not one of us can keep the law. In fact, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the glory of God, by the way, is his standard of righteousness. So you and I cannot keep the law. That's a given. So then what's the value of the law? Here's just a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, it can protect the people and their property. We're talking about that today, restitution. And uh, it will also organize and bring some order and peace out of potential chaos that will exist if there is no law. Think about that. Help, it'll also help God's family focus their attention on him and who he is. Laws reveal our brokenness and sin and increasingly do so, which allows God's grace to abound all the more. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, and verses 22 through 23, we hear Jeremiah the prophet speak the very words of God to the people of Israel about their observance of his law. And this is what God said through his mouthpiece, his prophet Jeremiah. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifices I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Only do as I say, and all will be well. You know what's cool about this? God is talking about a relationship he desires with his people, us, a relationship leading to obedience. He's not saying the ceremonial or civil law is not important. He's simply reminding the people to stop focusing on the law instead of him, the lawgiver. He's saying, don't take your eyes off me. Because my desire, first and foremost, is to be in relationship with you. You are mine and I am yours. So how about you? Are you sometimes focused on the activity of serving God and what you're doing for him instead of focusing on him and being with him? You know what? He's really concerned about our hearts first and foremost. He always has been. He wants my heart. He wants yours. He wants our hearts to be attuned to his. Knowing that, knowing that for us helps us understand who he is and how we are to react to that. And coming out of that, our obedience follows quite naturally. In the New Testament book of 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul wrote this to his brother in Christ, Timothy. And I quote, All scripture, which is God's law, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. So let's take a look at several questions that kind of flow out of these verses. 
Consider these. What is God teaching you today or in the past few days from his word, his law? Another question is, as you listen to him speak, what are you finding to be true? And what might you be identifying that which is wrong in your life? What needs to change? What needs straightening? How are you being equipped by God? How are you allowing him to equip you for every good thing that he wants you to do? Good questions to consider on this day. And how will you respond? Let's pray. Lord God, thanks for your word, for your law, for your scripture. Thanks for revealing yourself through the Holy Spirit's breath on your word. Knowing that your word is trustworthy in every way, we recognize our need to embrace it, to respect its authority and integrate it in every aspect of our lives. We know we can only do so in the power of our helper, the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, Help each of us as we respond obediently. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.